Well, hello, Valley family. It is really great to be back uh, with everyone. Uh, Susie and I were away uh, for a couple of uh, weeks visiting her family in Germany. Uh, we had an incredible time, uh, largely because they paid for the entire trip. Uh, and so that was like, that's like the best trip ever. Uh, her uncles are getting a little bit up in age, and so uh, they actually contacted us and said, we want to give you, uh, give Susie rather, uh, not me, but give Susie some of her inheritance while we're still alive, and we said, great, we want to come see you, and so they really flipped the bill for everything, it was a great, great time, we were very blessed, and uh, full of history, a, a lot of history, uh, some of what I want to talk about uh, in this very special message, last week we finished the series playlist, had a real uh, good time, a lot of fun with that. Next week, we're starting a series we've been working on at least for 10 months, maybe over a year now, uh, that's going to be called Legacy, Live a Legacy. Uh, and so that's a real special series. But uh, I, I really wanted to take just one message, this is kind of rare, a standalone message, uh, and, and talk about something that's going to be happening in just a couple of weeks, literally, and that is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, the beginning of the Reformation. Uh, we're all a part of that, whether you realize that or not, and uh, we're a Protestant church uh, in that wing of Christian faith, of Protestantism, and on October the 31st is actually the 500th anniversary of what historians say is the start of the Protestant Reformation, and it began with a man named Martin Luther, and this is a picture, a likeness, uh, if you will, a drawing, a portrait of Martin Luther, uh, who kick-started the Protestant Reformation by posting what's called the 95 Thesis uh, against the Roman Catholic practice of indulgences on the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg. And I, I, I bought a copy of the 95 Thesis in English. It's not, uh, it's not in Latin, which he wrote it in. Uh, but we actually went and visited that very spot, actually, uh, where he posted that. Uh, and uh, in fact, let's go ahead and let's just go ahead and put that picture up now. There I am standing in front. This is the actual door here of the Castle Church in Wittenberg where he nailed the 95 Thesis. You're like, what is he doing nailing stuff to the door? Well, here's the whole idea. That was considered like the public bulletin board back in those days. And so he did on October the 31st because November the 1st was in the Roman Catholic Church All Saints Day and he knew all the, all the people in the community would be coming to church and they would read what was on or they'd see what was on uh, that door. He also sent it to his uh, theologians and, and other scholars as well uh, because most people couldn't read and that's one of the things that uh, we'll get to in just a minute the history of Martin Luther, what he was able to do for the German people. Illiteracy was incredibly high but that that's the literal door right there. They have it bronzed over now and a gate in front of it. That's as close uh, as you can actually get to it. And so when he nailed these 95 points or 95 theses uh, to the door, uh, it, it ignited really what's called the Protestant Reformation. He was a German monk turned university lecturer, and Luther had a real fiery personality. Uh, and also he was absolutely brilliant. Before he became a monk, he was an attorney. He was in law school. And, and so he had this incredible intelligence. In fact, he probably spoke somewhere between five, maybe even seven different languages. And, and so he was incredibly uh, intelligent. And you can just see how he was God's man for that time, which really at that time in Europe, and really the whole known world at that time was full of a lot of chaos, uh, a lot of compromise, and a tremendous amount of conflict as well. It got him in a whole lot of trouble. 
to the point that the Catholic Church said, either you recant what you've taught, what, the, what you've claimed in terms of the sale of indulgences as they're trying to finance the building of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome in the Vatican, or you're going to be excommunicated and even your life is hanging in the balance. And he refused. And this started this incredible surge of what is now known the Protestant Reformation, which lasted about 100 years officially, but the reality is it still goes on today. In fact, while I was in Wittenberg, I actually was able to get a little picture uh, with Martin. He was there, and there it is. So just standing on the sidewalk there, old Martin was hanging out there uh, as well. But Luther's influence, it's amazing. How many of you, let me just ask a question. How many of you have ever read at any time, a single verse from the Bible. Anyone? Can I see a show of hands? You have Martin Luther to thank for that. Because until Martin Luther, the Bible was chained to the pulpit in the Roman Catholic Church, and it was only in Latin, and most priests did not even speak Latin. Very, very few clergy even could read the Bible. And one of the things that Martin Luther did, after he said, I will not recant, that I'm going to stand on God's word. And he was taken off into hiding for the protection of his life. In 11 months, he translated the New Testament from Latin into the common German language. It had never been done before. That the Bible was translated in the common language of the people. And so the fact that you and I can read the Bible in English today, that would not have even been a thought in someone's mind back in uh, 1517 on October the 31st. You wouldn't be worthy enough. Even, as I said, many priests were not worthy enough to read even a single verse from Scripture. Martin Luther did that. And his influence and, and the influence of the Protestant Reformation, it's hard to even quantify. He, uh, the Protestant Reformation that he ignited, and he wasn't the only one. There was also John Calvin and Zwingli and a number of others, John Huss, uh, even a generation before him. But it extended into economics. It extended into politics, education, music. And in actuality, when he translated the New Testament into German, German history says that, that his uh, translation was the foundation of the common language of German that is spoken today. In other words, he actually put it into a, a way, uh, formulated it so that people could actually begin to become literate and learn how to read. Absolutely amazing. All of this happened when one monk said, we need to go back to what the Bible says. There's so many things that are happening in the world at the time, in the 1500s. Like, it, doesn't, it doesn't even look like the way the church is supposed to look. Today, best estimates, approximately 900 million people today on the planet worship in Protestant churches. 900 million Protestants in the world today. All started with one man. One man who said, it's not right that the word of God is kept from the people of God. That's what you're a part of. That's what I'm a part of as well. And so I wore my little German vest here that I, I got here. I don't want anyone yodeling. No yodeling. All right? Don't do that. Uh, I, I couldn't do the lederhosen. You know, lederhosen, for those of you who don't know, I learned this, is leather. It means leather pants. They're little leather shorts, and they start at $200. And I was like, no, no, no. This guy doesn't do lederhosen. I'll do a vest, but uh, not going to do lederhosen at all. 
And, and so this reformation, uh, the whole idea is it's a reforming. Martin Luther never meant to start a, a, a different uh, way of worshiping Jesus Christ, a different sect, if you will, underneath the umbrella of Christianity. But there was incredible corruption that was going on at the time. And what he wanted to do was to get it back to the Bible, to reform it back to the Bible. And so I want to talk about that in this one message, standalone message. There's no way I can cover all the Reformation or anything like that. But I want to cover what I think is really the, the foundation of the Reformation. And, and maybe as a result of it, we'll have a greater appreciation. So if you have your Valley Christian Church app, if you'll just open that up. And, and we're going to begin to work our way through this. Because the real issue at the heart of the Reformation was the value and the place of the Bible. The value and the place of Scripture. Is scripture just kind of a, a helpful thing? Or is scripture the ultimate authority when it comes to the Christian faith and practice? And so the Reformation really isn't over. In fact, one of the phrases that we hear throughout the Reformation, even today, is this. We're reformed and we're always reforming. Every generation needs a Reformation. Every generation tends to kind of stray off and kind of go off the rails a little bit when it comes to the issue of Christian faith. And we need to go back to what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? And let that be the final authority. There's two real dangerous responses uh, to uh, to the Bible when we don't hold it in the, the place that it should be held in. First of all, we disregard the word of God. We disregard the word of God. This is what you can read the Old Testament. This is what happened to the nation of Israel over and over again. God would, uh, would, would uh, deliver them and set them up and establish them, and then they'd stray away from God, and they'd go into captivity because they would not follow what God was saying to them. And so they disregarded the word of God. We, we've gone through the book of Judges just a little bit over a year ago and, and other books of the Bible as well. And you just see this repetitively over and over and over. This is what the Old Testament was all about. The nation of Israel that disregarded the word of God. And that's a dangerous, dangerous thing. But second to that also, another dangerous response to God's word is that we devalue the word of God. And that's exactly what was happening at the time of Martin Luther that the traditions of the church were, put, were being put above the Bible itself. And, and church councils were making decisions, and then a few years go by, and they completely contradict the decision that they made, that they said God was giving them that wisdom and that decision, and canon law was developing and developing and developing. Even today, I have a, a copy of a Roman Catholic Catechism uh, in my office, and, and it's two times as thick as the Bible is. Canon law, and it always changes. It always changed. And Martin Luther said, we need to go back. We're devaluing God's word. And we need to go back to what he would say is the supremacy of scripture. That the Bible is the final authority. And that's what we need to look to, the scripture for our faith and for our practice. When it comes to uh, uh, actually devaluing God's word uh, in uh, well, I missed a verse, didn't I, there? Let's go back. Can we go back there disregarding uh, the word of God? In Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, this is in the Old Testament, pretty interesting. It says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They disregard my word. Because you've rejected knowledge, my word, I also reject you as my priest. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I also will ignore your children. <laughs> How's that for a wake-up call? God told the nation of Israel, because you're rejecting me, guess what? I'm rejecting your kids. Because they're not going to walk in my way if you're not walking in my way. 
And so that was, they disregarded God's word. And then about the time of Martin Luther, actually it was about from 600 all the way up to 1500, was the devaluing of God's word. See, here's the thing when we think about the Bible. If God wrote it and it truly is his word, then it is above us and we are accountable to it. Let me say that again. If God wrote it, and he did, I believe that. That's what Protestant churches believe. If God wrote it and it truly is his word, then it is above you and we are accountable to it. In other words, it's not my personal opinion. It is not what culture says. It is not what's in, in vogue or, or what the fad is or, or what everyone else believes or, or what other folks are doing. If this is God's word, it's not changing. And so we're accountable to it, and it is above us because it's God's word, and we're the creation, and he is the creator. If it's just another book, it's really not God's word then, and that means you're above it. That means your opinion is more important. That means that culture is going to dictate what is right, what morals are, what is ethical, And those are going to change like the changing wind all the time. Because it's just a book like, I don't know, Little House on the Prairie. Or Moby Dick. Lord of the Rings. It's just another book. That's all. But if God wrote it, and it truly is his word, then it is above you. And it's above me. And I'm accountable to it. And you'll be accountable to God's word as well. And so there are really five rally cries to the Reformation. And I want to share all of them with you, not in Latin, but in English, just so you can understand it a little bit better. But, but they all rest on the foundation. And that's the first one that I want to drill down deep in today. And here's the first rally cry of the Reformation. And that's why we're calling this message only, only scripture. Only scripture in Latin, sola scriptura which means the Bible alone is our highest authority. If it's written in the Bible, it doesn't matter what Greg thinks. It doesn't matter what my personal experience is. If it's written in the Bible and God has said, this is the way I see it, this is the way that it is, then that's the way that it is because it's above me and I'm accountable to it. So, sola scriptura, only scripture. Out of that come the other four uh, themes of the Reformation, the solas, if you will, the onlys, or alone. And from that is only faith. Only faith. We're saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ. How do you know that? Because the Bible tells me so. See, it all rests on, is it God's word, or is it just like Lord of the Rings or Star Wars? If it's God's word... The Bible tells us we're saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ, not by our good works. And this was one of the main touch points of the whole Reformation. That Martin Luther went back and he looked at the scripture and it says the just shall live by faith. By faith in God, not by their good works, but by faith in God. That's how we're justified. Only faith. The third cry, only grace, only grace. We're saved by the grace of God alone. There's nothing that you and I can ever do to deserve God's forgiveness. It's only by God's grace through sending his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life without any sin whatsoever. 
but to lay his life down as a sacrifice for you and for me, to pay the price for your personal sins and my personal sins. That's what the cross is all about. And he rose again three days later. That's how we know it was paid in full. If I still had to pay a price for my personal sins, Jesus would not have risen from the dead. He paid it in full. Grace alone. We're saved by the grace of God alone. Only Christ. Only Christ. Jesus Christ alone is our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our King. Watch this now. Very key for Protestant, for Reformation. He's the only one that we pray to. We don't have to pray through anyone else. He's our only Savior. He's our only Lord. He's our only God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. No go-betweens. No in-between people. No middlemen. Directly to God. That's what the Scripture teaches. There's nowhere in Scripture where it says, pray to someone else for them to say something good to Jesus on your behalf. It's nowhere in the Bible. This was one of the, the touch points of the Reformation, going back to the scripture. Only Christ, only scripture, only faith, only grace, only Christ. Jesus Christ alone is our Lord, our Savior, and our King. And then finally, the fifth point of the Reformation was this, only for the glory of God. Only for the glory of God. We live for gl the glory of God alone. Not for personal glory, not, not for personal ambition, to glorify God in everything that we do. Where do you get those ideas from? It all hinges on Scripture alone, back to the Bible. That's what Martin Luther was seeking to do, to bring the church back to its roots, back to the pages of Scripture. And so... Only scripture. I want to just kind of drill down deep into this because everything of the Reformation rests on this whole idea of scripture alone, the Bible alone. And, and I hope when I'm done, if nothing else, you'll value this more than you ever have before. Do you know right now, today as we speak, there are men and women whose lives are in danger because they own one page of this Bible and they're huddled around fearful that the door is about to get knocked down by soldiers and they're going to be dragged away and put into prison and they're reading one page from the Bible because they understand how powerful the scripture is that we take for granted. I was thinking as I was studying, how many Bibles do I own? I'm not even talking about, I'm not even talking about on my mobile app or anything like that. But, but I think pro probably somewhere between 30, maybe 40 different Bibles, hard copy Bibles, just like this. It's so easy, we just, we just take it for granted. And we don't realize 500 years ago, the idea that you could hold the Bible in your hand would be a heretical thought. It's all because of Martin Luther. He's the one that did that. Amazing, the 500th anniversary. It's kind of interesting, by the way, 900 million Protestants in the last 500 years, 900 million on the planet right now. Uh, Roman Catholic Church roughly is about uh, 1,700 years old. It's about 1.2 billion. It's larger and that wing of the Christian faith. But pretty interesting, 900 million in just 500 years uh, time that there's that many on the planet. Absolutely amazing what God has done in a relatively short time of human history that we're celebrating on October the 31st. You know what? God said there would be a famine 
and that famine would be a famine for his word. Look at Amos chapter, 11, chapter 8, verse 11. It says, the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. What would happen in your life if tomorrow every Bible you had disappeared? Couldn't Google the Bible, anything like that. How much Bible is in your heart? How much Bible is in your heart and in your head that could never be taken away from you? See, that's what it's really all about. Not just knowing the Bible, but living the Bible. Living the Bible. That's what Martin Luther ultimately stood on. As he said, here I stand on God's word with his very life hanging in the balance as he, as he, was, beyond, as he was being put on trial. Here I stand, he said. I can do nothing else. Nothing else but stand on God's word. Everything that you need for life is found in this book. Everything. Everything that you and I need for life is found in this book. I, I've dedicated my life. 27 years, if you count as education as well, well, we're up into the 30-something <clears throat> years of study ongoing over and over. And you know what? I'm convinced of that very fact. Everything we need for life is in this book. How do you handle finances? You can find out how in the Bible. How do you, how do you have a healthy marriage? The pages of scripture will show you. What about parenting? Wisdom for parenting. Turn to the Bible. Government, health, peace, perspective, economics, education, ethics, leadership, friendship, how to run a business. You find the answers in the pages of scripture. Everything that we need for life. Doesn't mean we don't need anything else, but the authority, the real uh, wisdom for living comes from God's word. Because that's what God's word said. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. It says, his divine power, that's God's divine power, has given us everything we need for godly life. How? Through our knowledge of him. How do you gain knowledge of God? Here it is. It's the Bible. It's through the Bible. This is the greatest way that we get to know him. It's through the pages of Scripture. And the scripture itself says, his divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and his own goodness. It's through the pages of scripture. It goes on and it says, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. How do you ever know that the promises of God? Is it kind of like riding down the, the street one day and all of a sudden on the radio it says, by the way, I just wanted to let you know of this great promise that God has for you today. That doesn't happen. How do we discover the promises that God's made for us? Is it on a little ticker tape on the bottom of the screen of the television? Of course not. It's through God's word. Do you know that he has, there's thousands of promises that God has for you that you may not even be aware of because we don't open the Bible. That we're living life so far below what God desires for us because we leave this dusty closed on the nightstand through these 
He has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in this world caused by the evil desires. When I go to the pages of scripture and I allow what God says in his word to inform my thoughts, my opinions, my behaviors, my pattern of living, the way that I actually live, doesn't mean that I become God. It says we participate in his divine nature. What does it mean? I begin to live the God kind of life that he created me for, that he created you for. The longer we keep the Bible closed, the less life we actually live the way God wants it to. And listen, gathering together, as important as this is, once a week, it's not enough. It's not enough. Jesus said, Thou shalt not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every day, every day, we need to hear from God's word. It changes us. This is how so many times in Valley we talk about here, uh, making a difference in people's lives around us. You know what? It's impossible to make a difference unless you are different. You can't make a difference in someone's life unless you are different. And so that means not only knowing the Bible, but actually living it out as well. And so I want to cover, because this is about the Bible, I want to cover a lot of Bible in a short amount of time. Are you ready? Put on your track shoes. Here we go. Let's talk about the power of the Word of God. The power of the Word of God. And all of these scriptures that we're about to look at about God's Word that the Bible says about itself, being God's Word, all these are on your app, and you can look at those and go back and review them as well. Look at this. First of all, John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word. That's a capital W. That means God's Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is this talking about? The next verse says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of the Word of God. He is the word of God, and he was with God in the beginning. In other words, it didn't just happen when, when, when God spoke to men and began to write on scrolls and on tablets. That wasn't when the God's word started. It was with him in the beginning. It always has been. It always will be. When this earth is gone and completely wiped away, God's word will still be intact. Not the pages of this leather-bound little Bible here. This, this, this won't be intact. But the content of it, God's word, will not be changed. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, for the word of God is alive and active. It's not a history book. This is not a history book. This is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. I, I don't know, maybe you're like me. Maybe this has happened to you before. It happens to me quite often, actually. When I open the Bible and I start reading something, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm just like, okay, it's my time during the day. I just want to read some of the Bible. And I'm going through it, and all, and all of a sudden, it's like I read something like, uh, mm, all right, well, I wish I hadn't read that. Because God just starts speaking to me out of the Bible like, hey, Greg, you know what? That rotten attitude that you had last night when you got a little snippy with Susie? Yeah. You see what Jesus says there about those kind of things? Yeah. Yeah. I do. It's alive. This is why maybe you'll hear somebody say this one time. Or maybe you say, I was reading the Bible, and it's like that verse just jumped off the page. 
Maybe you need a new pair of glasses or something if things are jumping off the page. What do they mean? It's like all of a sudden, you just read it and read and just have a regular plan. I encourage you to have a regular plan. You don't have to read a huge amount. Just read something every single day. And, and again, listen, I've got a master's in theology, a master's of divinity, a doctorate of ministry, and a doctorate of divinity. I read past, I've read them a hundred times before, and it's like, I've never read it before. Like all of a sudden, it's just fresh. Why? It's active. It's alive. And it speaks. It's a mirror. And it's like a surgeon's scalpel sometimes. That sort of divides between soul and spirit. And it cuts to bring healing. And it cuts to bring wholeness. Jesus put it this way. Heaven in Luke chapter 21, verse 33. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Did you hear that? He said, I'm not changing my opinion on anything. Nothing's going to change. Culture will change. Perspectives will change. Opinions will change. Jesus says, I'm not changing. And not one of my words will ever change. Heaven and earth will pass away. One day, everything we see will be gone. And his word will be the only thing that remains. That's power. That's real power. In Psalm 107, verse 20, it says, he sent out his word. Listen to the power behind this, God's word. He sent out his word and he healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Do you know that in this book, in God's word, is the power to bring wholeness and healing? I don't, maybe, I don't know what kind of fear you're, you're struggling with, what kind of anxiety that you're facing right now. God, through his word, can bring healing to your mind, can bring peace to your mind, can bring comfort to your soul through God's word. Why would we leave that on the shelf? Why, why would we leave that alone and disregard it or de- devalue it? He sent his word and he healed them. And he rescued them from the grave. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11. Even as I'm going over these verses, you know what's happening right now? God is speaking. God is moving. Even as you're hearing these, like, wow, I didn't know that. What? I can't believe it. Hope rising. Fears diminishing. God is moving because he speaks. is through the power of his word. Through the power of his word. Look at what it says in Isaiah 55, 11. So so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word has a purpose. And when God says something in his word and I open that up and it, it fills my heart, it fills my mind, it delivers on what God sent it to do every single time. It will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. This is, this is a real practical one here. Psalmist David writes, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? I think nowadays it's like, not just a young person, a middle-aged person, senior citizen. How, how can anybody stay on the path of purity? Well, you know what? Only 4,000 years ago, in God's word, we learned how. By living according to your word, God. Not David's word, God's word. That's how we stay on the path of purity, by living according to God's word. 
I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from what your commands, from what? He's saying, God, don't let me stray from your word. From your word. Don't let me devalue your word. Don't let me disregard your word. God, let me see your word the way that it really is. Don't let me stray from your commands. And then he makes this statement. Listen to this. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Interesting what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, I have an app for that. He he doesn't say, I'll Google it. What does he say? I've hidden your word inside of me. Inside of me. Listen. I I can't tell you how many times in my life when I'm faced with a situation and I don't have time to pull out the Bible app, and I love that Bible app that Life Church created. I don't have time to do that. That I'm I'm just faced with a situation. Somebody, there's a phone call, and I can't like, oh, can I call you back in five minutes after I can do a little research on that? And so many times, boom, verse comes to mind. Bible verse that I've studied, that I've hidden in my heart. You know what's crazy is this? I have never owned a King James version of the Bible. I've never owned one. But all the scripture that I have memorized in my mind is all King James. I can't explain that. It's just like hearing it a couple times or something. It just sticks in my mind. And so then I have to like put it into language that people understand. I've hidden your word in my heart. Why? So that I may not sin. Many of us, listen now, are struggling with sin in our life. And the answer is hiding God's word in your heart. We're going to Dr. Superduck. We're going to this one. We're going to that one. To every single one. And like, help me, help me, help me. And God said, hide my word in your heart and you won't sin. Put it in your heart. Memorize it. Get it down in there. And watch as the power of God's word changes you. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's the power of God's word. The New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. You get the idea why maybe Martin Luther was so hung up on sola scriptura? It's, it's, it's where all the power is in God's word. Think about it for just a minute, even before we go there. How did God create everything that you and I see? Creation itself, what did he do? Roll up his sleeves and start messing with his hands. What did he say? Let there be light. And there was light. It's his word. Everything we see was created by the word of God. That's the power, That's the power that you and I possess, thanks to Martin Luther, that we have access to this. God's very word. Do we disregard it? Do we devalue it? Are we praying and asking God to do things for us? And he says, I've already done it. It's in my word. It's in my word. What are you doing with my word? Scripture only. Scripture alone. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, all scripture is God-breathed. Hold on a minute, I'll explain this. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness. All scripture is God-breathed. That means even like Leviticus, where it says, don't boil a baby calf in the milk of its mother. 
What in the world? It's God-breathed. It's God-breathed, and I'm not going to get on a rabbit trail and explain what that's all about. But it's God-breathed. Sometimes we say that, that God inspired the writers. I say that sometimes because I think it's a little easier. But, but that's not really what the Bible says here. It says it's God-breathed, not just inspired. It, it means when the, the, the men that wrote the pages of Scripture weren't just like God was giving them some ideas, some inspiration, like, look at that beautiful sunset. And they went, wow, that's pretty. I'll write about it. That's not what happened. It literally means God breathed, that God spoke in their ear and they dictated word for word what he wanted them to write. That's what you hold in your hand right now. It's God breathed all of it, all of it, from Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. All of it is God breathed. That was one of the crazy things that happened during the Reformation. That, that right in the middle of it, to, to, to kind of defend against what, what Martin Luther was saying, we have to go back to the scripture. That's when the, that, after that in response was when the Apocrypha was added back in by the Roman Catholic Church. It was never part of the Bible. But even that, because it was rejected as not being scripture earlier on in the history of the church. And they said, no, this will justify indulgences. And the Apocrypha was put in in response to Martin Luther saying, we've got to go back to God's word. They're like, we're going to put in a few more books so that we can justify what we're doing. That's not God-breathed. The Apocrypha is not God-breathed. It's been rejected by church history all throughout history. All scripture, Genesis through Revelation, 66 books. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness. It's God's power. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, I think this is so important. Do not go beyond what is written. Do not go beyond, do not add to what is written. Do not go beyond. There's, there's so much in the Bible. We, we don't need to go outside of the Bible. You know, like the story, for instance, I don't know that you heard it, but uh, in Genesis, after God created man, an angel came to Adam one day and said, listen, it's kind of lonely, isn't it? He's like, yeah, it is. He goes, God's going to do something about that. He's going to create this other being for you called a woman. Adam's like, seriously? Legit? And he's like, yes. And she's going to be beautiful. Not like man. She's going to be gorgeous. She's going to have long flowing hair, perfectly manicured fingers. And you know what else, Adam? He said, what? To the angel, he goes, she's going to serve you night and day. He's like, really? Yeah, she's going to clean the house. When you come home from work, she's always going to look perfect. And just Her hair is just going to be perfect. She's going to smell good all the time. She's always, by the way, going to be in a romantic mood also. She's never going to reject you or anything like that. And on weekends, you know what, Adam? You're just going to be able to sit on the couch and do nothing all the time. And Adam was like, seriously? I can't believe it. How much is this going to cost me? This is just going to be expensive. How much is this going to cost me? He's like, oh, it's expensive. She's going to be expensive. It's going to cost you an arm and a leg. And Adam said, what can I get for a rib? <laughs> See, we can't go beyond Scripture. We can't go beyond Scripture. That's beyond Scripture. We can't do that. That's not the Bible. Don't go beyond what is written. There's so much that's actually clear that we don't need to go off in all these things. Every Easter, there's a documentary, The Gospel of Judas. Stop it! That's just stupid. That's just stupid. That was rejected by the first church council 
Why was this left out? Because Judas hung himself, and 200 years later, someone said, I'm going to write like I'm Judas. It's a lie. It's an absolute lie. Don't go beyond what is written. The 66 books in the Bible, Genesis through Revelation. Romans chapter 15, verse 4 says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. All that in the Old Testament was written to teach us. So that through endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provided, we might have hope. Hope that we find in the scripture. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16, talking again about the power of God. It says, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Listen, I know too many Christians that use the Bible like a club to beat people over the head. That's not the purpose of the Bible. It's supposed to bring hope. It's supposed to bring uh, clarity. You know, if you're in God's word, I think something ought to change in your life. You still shouldn't be as mean as a rattlesnake. Too many people go to church every day, mean as rattlesnakes. They've not allowed God's word to change their hearts, to really penetrate their hearts. Avoid godless chatter. For some of us, avoid social media is what it says to us today. Because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. The wisdom of scripture. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 20 puts it this way. Knowing this, first of all, talking about how scripture itself was written. This is an amazing passage. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy, that's God speaking forth, of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. It didn't come from men. The Bible is not the writing of men. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Watch this now. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's what you have in your hands that God, the Holy Spirit, carried them along and said, this is what you're to write. These are God's thoughts. The Bible itself, the apostle Peter, God breathed this and he wrote that. And it's God's word. It's God's word. So, real practically now, let me wind this up. Scripture alone. How do I get God's word in me? I think that's a good question. How do I do it? If God's word is so powerful, and listen, I just scratched the surface, just gave you a number of verses, just kind of drinking out of a fire hose right now about how powerful God's word is. How do we get it inside of us? Because I don't know if it, I, I want that power. I need that power. I know who I am. I, I know what kind of person I am. I need God. How do, how do we get God's word inside of me? Real practically, I'm going to zip right through these. First of all, you got to read it. You got to read it. And here's the thing, and, and I know this might sound crazy, you don't have to understand everything you read for that power to be released in your life. You don't have to understand everything. Let me just encourage you, just, just, read, just read a little bit every day. And tomorrow, pick up where you left off. I always encourage people when I give them a Bible, and maybe it's the first Bible that they've ever had, I say, start reading in the book of John. Because the Bible is a collection of 66 books. Don't look at this as a book like a, a novel that you read cover to cover. You could, but, but you're going to get a little confused. Because it's not even chronologically ordered, uh, the books of the Bible. They're not in chronological order. It, it's a bookshelf. You can choose, just like going to Barnes & Noble. I think I'll choose that book. And so I encourage people to start in the book of John. 
It's a story. It's one of the four Gospels about uh, Jesus' life. And it's real easy to understand. And and just read one chapter. Just read one chapter a day. And and, and some of it you understand. Some of it you might have questions. You may want to pick up a Bible that that has some some commentary and some explanation in it. But read it. It's, It's the way that we get it into our heart. Then here's the second thing. Let it read you. Instead of just reading it, let it read you. Let it speak to you. Like when you come across something like, God, are you saying this to me? Put yourself in the pages of Scripture. Here's the second thing. Memorize it. Memorize it just like we heard already. Your word have I hidden in your, my heart that I would not sin against you. There's so many times I, I wrestled with fear in my life when I was a young boy. One of the verses that I remember my parents said, commit to memory. What well, times I am afraid, I will trust in you. What times I am afraid, I will trust in you. I can remember laying in bed at night as a little kid, tears, you know, I'm on my pillow and tears running down the side of my face. I'm going, what times I am afraid, I will trust in you. What times I am afraid, I will trust in you. What times I am afraid, I will trust in you. And you know what? It helped because it was God's word. Do you remember when, when Satan appeared to Jesus after 40 years uh, uh, in the desert after he was fasting? And he tempted him three different times. Each time Jesus responded to the three different temptations of Satan is what? It is written. And he quoted scripture to him. It is written. Why do we think we can resist temptation on our own strength? Jesus didn't show us that example. He said, it is written. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Meditate. You know what that word meditate means? It's kind of like, I know this is a little rough, but let me explain it this way. You know anything about cows? You know how a cow chews its cud? Cows have two stomachs. And when they're chewing, they, they, they swallow, and then they, like, regurgitate it. And they chew it a little bit more. And then they swallow it, and they'll kick it back up, and they'll chew on it a little bit more. Like right now. <clears throat> Just had a little burp, a little pizza right there, you know. And I was like, hmm, that pizza was pretty good we had tonight, baby. That was good. Thank you, honey. You know, it's the same idea. That's what God's word. Read God's word in the morning, and then you know what? You're going through the day, and spiritually you kind of have a little. And just think about what you read. Just, just, Just kick it around one more time. An hour later, two hours later, at lunchtime, six, six hours later, nine hours later. Before you go back, read it again. You'll be amazed how meditate on it gets it down and drives it down into your heart. And then this. What's the next step? Talk it, speak it, sing it. Talk it, speak it, sing it. God's word. Let, let there, there's something about hearing yourself saying God's word. It gets down even deeper into your heart. Even deeper into your heart. Talk it, speak it, sing it. And then this one. Pray it. Pray God's word. That there's so much. If you're reading through the book of Psalms, instead of just reading it like it's poetry, pray it. They're, they're, they're songs. They're prayers. Read it like prayers. Make it personal. Put your name in it. Personalize. Pray it. And then the last thing is this. Receive it. Receive God's word. Every time when I open the Bible, I say, God, I pray you speak to me now from your word. Speak life. Simple prayer. God, I pray that you speak to me now from your word. Speak life to me right now. Receive it. Why is this so important? Read it. 
Let it, uh, let it read you, memorize it, meditate on it, talk, speak it, sing it, pray it, receive it. Look at what James chapter 1, verse 21 says. James chapter 1, verse 21, it says this. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. Watch this now. How's it happen? Humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your soul. It has the power to change us, to be who it is that he wants us to be. We have to receive his word, accept the word of God that he's planted in our hearts. And let me end with this. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12. I love this. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, watch this now, for I am watching over my word to perform it. Listen, I think for many of us, we've been praying, we've been praying, and God's saying, give me something to work with. Give me some word. Open my word and plant it in your heart so that I can perform my word in your life. That's what he says here in Jeremiah. I'm watching over my word to perform. If you don't have his word in your heart, you're not giving him anything to work with. I'm watching over my word to perform it. So here's my question for you right now. How much word have you put in yourself for God to perform? How much word is inside of you right now? And God wants to perform do that word you can't change the past but you can start afresh today that the God's word value God's word that it's above me and so I'm accountable to it I want to end this message right now this way there's a great movie made about Martin Luther's life a number of years ago Joseph Fiennes played the part, Ralph Fiennes' brother, Joseph Fiennes played the part of Luther. And I'm going to share with you right now just a clip from that movie. That is the exact words, the exact quotes, word for word, that Martin Luther said when his life was hanging in the balance, when he was standing trial. And, and, and the religious leaders were saying, you must recant right now. Will you recant? This is the way that he responded. All in in God's word. Unless I am convinced by scripture and by plain reason and not by popes and councils who have so often contradicted themselves, my conscience is captive to the word of God. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. I cannot. And I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me.
stand on God's word, I could do nothing else. And it changed the face of civilization on this planet. One man. Now 900 million people. Because one man said, I refuse to compromise. I will stand on God's word. That's the power of God's word. That's what you hold in your hands. That's the gift that God's given to us through Martin Luther that we can actually read in our own language. That's what we celebrate the 500th anniversary of on October the 31st. Only scripture. Sola Scriptura. It is written. I'm going to ask, would you bow your heads with me right now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, there's so much more that could be said right now, but I've said plenty. Because, Lord, my words really don't matter. But, Lord, your word, your words are what bring life. Your word is where the power is. By your word, you framed all of creation. By your word, it is finished on the cross. Jesus paid the price for our sins in full. By your word. Father, I pray today that, Lord, we would value your word, each and every one of us, like never before. And that, Lord, we would hide your word in our hearts. That we would live the life that you created us for. Thank you, Father, for your word. Right now, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to give anyone and everyone an opportunity here. If you've never placed your faith in the hands of Jesus Christ before, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And you may be saying, well, how do I do that? Well, let me share with you what God's word says. God's word says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so right now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you've never prayed and received Christ and put your life in his hands before taking that step of faith, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. And you can repeat after me. And I just invite you to open your heart to God right now in this moment and trust him with your life. That Jesus came and lived a perfect life and died a sacrificial death and a substitutionary death to pay for your sins and my sins. And he rose again three days later. Proof positive that when we place our faith in him, we're forgiven of our sins. It's the free gift of salvation. If you've never prayed that prayer before, just repeat after me now. Heavenly Father, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord. I turn from my sins. Thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price for my sins. Father, I pray now that you would guide me, lead me, direct me by your Holy Spirit from this day forward 
And Lord, I want to hide your word in my heart beginning today and live the life that you created me to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Valley Christian Church located in Hopewell Junction, New York. Please visit us online at valleychristianchurch.net for more information. Thank you.